Welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the questions I want to ask, how do they balance making art with everyday life? What part does photography play in their family, career, passion, and vocation? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Justin Sneed, also known as the Dreadlock Traveler. Justin is a storm chaser and photographer with a career as a traveling healthcare professional. This career allows him to be mobile across the Midwest United States during the active storm season each year. We talked about how he discovered this passion, how his career has prepared him for this type of fast-paced and chaotic photography, and what drives him. Let's dig in, Justin. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, we've been we've been kicking messages back and forth for weeks. Yeah, and <laughs> um, and what's kind of fun is that while we have been in you know on Twitter together, we've been you know in DM threads. We got a whole group thread of, of people we talk with, but we've actually met in person. But it's been gosh about three years ago, I think now. Yeah, maybe even a little longer. Would it uh, 2017, 18? I think it was 2018. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. I could be wrong. I, you know, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. But, uh, it's true. uh, it's true. we met, um, on a, um, a group workshop on the Oregon coast and, uh, just had an amazing chance to shoot all kinds of waves and waterfalls and, uh, we, you know, stars and night, just night sky and a little bit of everything. So it's, it's been fun to, follow you what you're what you're doing to follow your your career as a as a photographer but then also to watch how you've grown um the things that you've chosen to spend your time on since then mm-hmm. um and, and it's just it's always kind of cool when you go back a, a few years with somebody yeah it is because when we met it was you know i just kind of got into the photography game and you know i was kind of wanting to get out there and meet new people and obviously i did um you know i had great times with you and you know people like Joe Perry and Lay and, you know, Tristan, uh, John Carlo, people that I still talk to, which is pretty phenomenal when you think about it, you know? Uh, yeah. But it's funny just looking back at where I started, you know, not knowing what kind of photography genre I wanted to get into. And now it's, oh, look, this guy chases storms and tornadoes and lightning, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, and that's a great place to kind of jump in. So I, when we, when we first met, is that, had you started storm chasing at that point? No, I had not stopped started storm chasing at all. It was, it was nowhere near my mindset as far as like going out to storm chase. It was, I was just kind of trying to find something that I could click with and, mm. you know, going to that workshop was actually kind of the beginning of that. Just trying to find a, you know, a specific niche of photography, because obviously we did a lot of things. We shot waterfalls, we shot the nighttime sky on Cannon beach, you know, uh, right. Obviously, we were driving around the Oregon coast and, you know, shooting some of the, you know, rainforest like settings there. And um, it's weird because none of that stuff really clicked with me. It was beautiful. And, you know, I I loved being out there in nature, but none of that clicked with me how it did when I saw my first uh, supercell. And, you know, just pulling, driving from Minneapolis, heading back to the facility that I'm working at now and uh, actually saw a cloud just off in the distance and i was like oh man what what is that that looks cool (laughs) i gotta go find out what that is i took out my little nikon d5200 i think at the time and just started clicking away and 
started posting on Facebook and lo and behold, I had a, a friend that I used to work with who her boyfriend is going to school to be a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. So she kind of saw that, you know, my interest was kind of peaked in, you know, not storm chasing in general, but just, you know, kind of seeing these storms and trying to figure out what it was. And they eventually, he had a storm chase one weekend and they invited me out. Um, mm. So I drove down from Minnesota to Wichita, Kansas, which is uh, probably. That's, the, that's like the, that's like the Holy land for storm chasing, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I think that was probably a seven hour drive from where I was. So I get in town, you know, it's late. We sleep. And uh, I had no idea what, what we were going to do. Um, we wake up the next morning and he's like, yeah, we're going to the panhandle of Texas. So little did I know that we were going to wake up, leave Wichita, Kansas, drive through Amarillo, over into New Mexico, down south a little, did a completely big loop back around into the Texas panhandle and then back into Wichita in 24 hours. Oh, wow. And at that point, <laughs> we didn't even get anything. And I was hooked still just on the adrenaline rush of seeing, you know, storms form and just seeing the nature and the power of the storms, even though we didn't get anything that um, photography wise was, you know, beautiful enough to post. Sure. Well, I, um, that's, that's super cool. I, I have always admired storm photography and I'm one of those people that I'm, I'm old enough that I went and saw the movie Twister in the movie theater. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of my, that's kind of my frame of reference. And of course there's been different reality shows since then on it, but um, it's been really interesting to, to watch the storm chasing community uh, develop over the last few years and, and to hear people post, uh, you know, to hear people tell their stories both with the photos, but also, um, behind the scenes movie footage of what, what they're up to. And then to hear on other po- you know, on other podcasts, like, uh, Matt Payne has, has interviewed a couple different storm chasers on his, uh, F stop collaborate and listen podcast. And I always get a little bit like, oh, maybe I need to connect up with some storm chasers and go, go learn about that. Yeah. Seems yeah. pretty crazy. It is. It is. Um, you know, I, I think the thing with storm photography is that a lot of people who chase storms, and, you know, I'm speaking from experience when I say this, um, you're chasing them because it kind of helps you deal with your normal life situations. Um, mm. You know, being able to be out in Mother Nature and just witness like some of the rawest power that you can witness in the middle of nowhere, you know, just seeing these storms drop huge hail, creating tornadoes, you know, getting these massive cloud to ground lightning barrages. It's it's something that when you're seeing it, your adrenaline is going and nothing else matters in that moment. So it's right. almost like it's a getaway, if that makes sense, from reality, even though it is reality. It's right in front of you. There's chaos wreaking havoc upon the land, landscape. And uh, I find a sense of calm within my within my soul. And it's very weird. It's If you're not into that kind of thing, you're like, why are these people enjoying this per se? And I think it's because in a way those storms kind of relate to your life, you know, oftentimes Mm -hmm. your life can be very chaotic and, you know, despite life being chaotic, you have to find a way to remain calm, to find your peace. And I think just being able to see that storm structure as beautiful as it is, even though it's creating chaos underneath it, it's, it's just the ultimate experience personally. I love it. Um, Justin, can you tell 
the listeners here, if they're not already familiar with your work, um, about yourself and where you're from, that sort of thing. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Justin Sneed. I'm a 33-year-old healthcare worker um, and storm photographer. When I'm not out in the Midwest chasing storms and tornadoes and things of that nature, I'm traveling across the U.S. and working in various hospitals, uh, just kind of helping with understaffed hospitals as they as they deal with you know COVID and things of that nature. Um, it's been it's been a pretty wild six years. Uh, traveling across the U.S. has definitely opened my eyes to a lot of different things, just different cultures and. And being able to see parts of the U.S. that I never thought I would see as a child, well, it's, it's pretty amazing. So it's kind of a twofold thing, being able to help others and witness things that I've never been able to witness. I love it. I'm guessing that it, um, the idea of being a traveling healthcare worker gives you a lot of freedom to, to be able to go and be other places around the U.S. because the a big, uh, big storms happen in kind of specific places. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of stick to the Midwest when I, uh, when I work my contracts, a, because usually those rural towns are often the towns that are truly in need of people to come in and kind of help with things. But B, because I can now shoot storms and have local chases to where I don't have to try to take off of work, you know, on a certain day to get to a certain place. Um, this year, or well, I should say last year, I was actually able to take off the whole summer and go chasing for the whole summer for the first time ever. And I credit being able to do that to being a travel nurse. Um, being a travel nurse and a travel surgical tech has helped me to have not only that flexibility in my life to pursue what I would like to pursue, but uh, financially it's it's helped as well. And like I said, again, you're able to help other people who are in desperate need. Um, you know, some of these hospitals are very overwhelmed right now with COVID going on and, you know, they'll lose staff members and it's, it's a huge help and relief when people can come in and help them because they're severely overworked, severely underpaid. And it, it's hard right now. It's really hard. Yeah. No, I can totally imagine. It's uh, I have quite a few family members who are in healthcare and I hear the stories and you just go, wow. I mean, that's, it, it seems a little, a little wild, um, in a way that it, um, that it wasn't in the past. Yes. It's, it is very, uh, it's very different. It's, uh, it's pretty unique because, uh, the Ebola, I don't know if you remember the Ebola crisis in, yeah. what was it like the early teens? Um, mm -hmm. you know, everyone was scared, but we never truly had that outbreak. Right. So we never had to experience anything of this level. Um, and I remember having to prepare for receiving Ebola patients. And that was a very scary time. Right. Uh, so even though COVID has, you know, obviously wreaked, wreaked havoc upon, you know, the healthcare landscape and, you know, our economy, I'm pretty thankful that it's not worse in terms of the death rate and things of that nature, because Ebola was, the Ebola scare was truly something that I was scared of. Like I was yeah. truly afraid I was going to die. Um, wow. same with COVID when it first came out, but now as it mm -hmm. progresses along as a virus and, you know, slowly, you know, mutates into these various strains, um, I'm not as scared, but it's still yeah. overwhelming the healthcare field. Yeah, no, I can, I can imagine. I, oh, 
Well, thank you for what you do. Uh, it's it's we've entered a new a new place in our American history where we get to say thank you for your service to our healthcare workers, which is nice. a, a kind of a different vibe, right? It is. It's it's pretty wild. You know, you never heard you know people uh, people congratulating healthcare workers like like this, but right, we're in that. I guess we're in that time now. You know, yeah. So you you mentioned that chasing storms, which is it's chaos. I mean, it's, it's quite literally to the human uh, perception. It, it can feel like chaos. Why do you think chasing storms is a way to, um, what's the right word here? How is, how is that a way to help you cope or help you work through the, the lack of order or the, the chaos in other parts of your life? Uh, and know, not just for you, but for other, you know, you mentioned that other storm chasers kind of sometimes have that same vibe. And I'm curious, why do you think chasing chaos helps you deal with chaos? Well, I, for me, for myself personally, um, I think this kind of attributes back to when I first became a healthcare professional. Um, so I'm an LPN and a surgical tech. I work in the operating room and part of our job in order to be a good assistant to the surgeon while, you know, while we're doing surgery is you have to be able to remain calm in times of chaos because it's those times of chaos where every second counts. If you're in a trauma surgery with a patient that's bleeding out um, and the room can just be in total duress, you know, oftentimes it's those surgical techs who they know where a supply is that you need. Um, right they know how to assist the surgeon without the surgeon having to tell you. Um, we're literally the second hand, like the surgeon's second hands, if that makes sense. Right. And I think that being able to, well, I'm not going to say being able to, but having gone through those types of situations has helped me in the storm chasing community, because oftentimes we find ourselves again in chaos. You know, there's, on these, some of these higher risk days, there's a ton of chasers who are out chasing. So we have to deal with traffic on country back roads, uh, you know, gravel back roads, sometimes muddy back roads, which can be a very dangerous thing. Um, then you can have a storm that's coming towards you that's dropping three to three and a half inch hail. Obviously, that can destroy your car pretty good, you know, take out a couple of windshields, right. you know, front, back, whatever. Um, then, of course, you have the potential to have a damaging tornado in your path as well. Um, and you have to know how to navigate those experiences. And I really think that when you're out there chasing and you you learn how to navigate chaos out in real life with Mother Nature, sometimes that can help you also navigate your problems that are within your mind, you know, mentally. Um, because oftentimes... It's like practice. Yeah, it is. Because... Oftentimes, the things that create chaos in our mind, they're not something that can we can necessarily see. You know, right. they're, they're things that, you know, maybe we have insecurities about ourselves or about our photography or about other in real life situations. So being able to manage one thing sometimes can bleed over into other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I like that for me, being able to manage the chaos in the operating room has bled over into managing the chaos, storm chasing at times. And in turn, that has helped me with some of my life situations. Yeah. I think, um, I think maybe the word I was looking for was it's cathartic, right? Yeah. It's 
there's a piece of it that it helps you deal with, um, it helps put things in perspective, but I love the idea just that you're, you're practicing. It's your, your, your professional life is, you know, the, the one that pays the bills mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is the one that where you are managing, you know, I always, I always picture when people talk about, you know, being in a, in a, in a trauma situation in the medical field, like here, this is where the doctor goes, here, put your hand here and put pressure <laughs> and you go, okay. <laughs> and you can't move your hand because you're literally the clamp for a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's stuff like that. And when you're chasing a storm, it's doing a, a calculated, um, f- figuring out what are your ways out? You know, how do you, uh, what are your, what are your exit, uh, routes and what happens when they get picked off one by one? You have to kind of, you have to be able to think f- pretty far ahead on that. I'm guessing. Yes. Yes, you do. So again, it's the same thing with surgery. We have to always, we have to always think one step ahead. We almost have to be in that surgeon's mind and know their routines. But obviously when it comes to a trauma, that's, you know, there is no routine. You never know what you're going to get, whether or not it's a gunshot wound or, you know, a knife, you know, a laceration or whatever the case may be, you know, those times of routine often get thrown out the window. And it's in those times where you have to, really hone in on your skills and that comes with experience so for me both the in the operating room and now in storm chasing um that experience has helped me has helped me to know when i'm in a time of not crisis but an area of chasing where it's like okay this is something new i haven't seen i need to hone in on my skills and be really careful with this situation and which right you know it happens um People don't expect it. And, you know, a lot of times our chases can go normal, but we do have, you do have times where a storm may behave erratically or, you know, a storm that you thought wasn't going to be as intense as it is, is now bearing down on you and speeding up and you need to have multiple escape routes out ahead of you. You need to remember your escape routes behind you because if your escape routes in front of you all of a sudden are gone, which I've had happen. I've had two escape routes literally disappear in front of me on my live feed. And I had to turn around and head back to an escape route that was literally the storm was already over. And Mm. I had no choice. You know, I knew that. So I knew the moment I saw it, I knew I had to take action, go back towards Mm -hmm. the storm and get out of it as quick as I could before, uh, you know, a potential tornado drop on my head. So, you know, there's calculated risk to everything. And, it's uh again, it's all life training, I feel like. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. So you you mentioned that you you kind of discovered storm chasing, you know, on your way back to, you know, to Minnesota, heading heading back that, that direction. What is your um your original am I remembering right? You're from South Carolina? Yeah, I am. Yep. Okay. Tell me, I mean, I think that maybe the difference is you're used to hurricanes as <laughs> out on, out on the Atlantic coast, you know, get kind of dealing with that stuff uh, occasionally. How, like, w- does this relate to anything that you grew up with? Anything that you're used to? No, it doesn't. Uh, growing up in South Carolina, you know, as you mentioned, uh, hurricanes are our primary th- threat. Um, I think the last tornado that touched down in my county was probably right around the time when I was born, which is 1988. Okay, um, wow. So obviously, you know, they get tornadoes there, but it's nowhere near as often as the Midwest or uh, 
right. what we call a Dixie Alley, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, those type of areas. So right. for me, um, growing up in the South and, you know, getting those occasional thunderstorms that popped up in the afternoon, you know, produced a little bit of rain and then the sun's back out. Um, mm-hmm. It was very different coming to the Midwest and then just stumbling upon this, you know, gigantic cloud and having my phone go off with a tornado warning. And I'm like, what do I do? Yeah, right. <laughs> because at the time I had no idea of what to do. And um, just, just seeing it, you know, having this happen, it all piqued my curiosity and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I was driving back that day because storm photography has truly, it's changed my life. It's, you know, with being able to sell the artwork now, it's changed my family's life and right. um, all for the better, you know, and I never thought that this would happen just from seeing a cloud. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. What well, I think, so I'm in Portland, which is, I mean, realistically, you know, I mean, I think when you came out for, uh, for that workshop, um, did you, did you did you just meet us out on the coast or did somebody pick you up? Did you fly out? Uh, I was actually, I think I had met up with some friends in uh, Reno, Nevada. Okay. And uh, I'm trying to remember what I did. I think I might have hit up like Yosemite for a day or two. Okay. And okay. then just started my drive up towards uh, Oregon. If I'm not okay. mistaken. Yeah. Well, I, well, the reason I say it is because, <clears throat> you know, I live in Portland, which is, you know, two hours from where we spent the whole time out there. We do not get we don't get uh, any sort of big lightning storms. It just, it's very rare here. Yeah. Uh, if we, if we do, it's more like middle of winter. Um, and you know, do we just get, just get heavy duty stuff, but it's not the dry condition, warm weather kinds of things that, that turn into tornadoes. And so, uh, we do get a little bit of like wild, like huge, huge thunderheads out in the Eastern part of the state where, it, where we have, it's more of a desert you know, high desert sort of a situation, but we just don't get them out here. Um, and I, you know, just because of the conditions, but I've always been, I've always thought it was pretty fascinating. So you had gotten into photography a few years. Like when did you start, when did you start shooting, um, just Uh, regular stuff? Not, 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 uh, not not photography. Uh, I want to say I picked up my camera around 2016, uh, I actually picked it up on my first travel assignment out in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And, okay. you know, obviously I picked it up. I uh, actually got the, the motivation to pick up a camera from a buddy back in Jacksonville, Florida, who uh, I met him at a rock concert and he was shooting, <laughs> he was doing concert photography and I thought that was pretty cool. So I was like, right. Yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to give, I'm going to become a concert photographer and, you know, shoot at these big festivals and things of that nature. And, I quickly found out that that wasn't what I wanted to do. That's um, not your jam. Yeah. Uh, portrait photography, concert photography, anything that has to deal with that. I just, I automatically knew once I did it a time or two that I didn't want to do it. Um, yeah. Props to those people who do portrait photography because I just, I can't handle the pressure of uh, <laughs> dealing with people and then, you know, potentially disappointing them with my work. You know, that would be a crushing, uh, crushing feeling. You know, it's one thing when you're out shooting, you know, astrophotography and landscape photography. And, you know, let's say you're out shooting and you come back home and you put up your edits on the computer and everything's blurry. Um, You know, you can just trash it. Nobody has to know. (laughs) The storm is not offended. Yeah, the storm is not offended. But if you're shooting that model and then you, you know, get home and you look at your photos and it's like, 
oh, these are not good. Well, you have to kind of let that model know, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. So that's, I didn't want that feeling. Um, Usually they have paid you, so <laughs> you kind of have to get it right. <laughs> that too. So so I, uh, I kind of ditched that plan. Um, I left Des Moines, Iowa, and I went to Afton, Wyoming, which is about an hour south of Jackson Hole and the Grand Teton National Park. Mm-hmm. And I uh, started just kind of getting into landscape photography, uh, astrophotography. Um, and it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I love being out there in nature and, you know, hiking around, trying to trying to find new vantage points in the park. Um, but again, just wasn't that thing that clicked with me. Um, right. So then I thought, oh, maybe wildlife photography will be my thing. So uh, luckily I was, again, in Wyoming, which... We have wolves, we have both black and grizzly bears, uh, foxes, bald eagles, moose. Uh, so I started spending time in uh, Jackson Hole and just trying to, you know, get out there and, you know, find these animals. And I've had a couple of close calls with a bear and wolf and uh, those were fun experiences. Don't get me wrong. But again, yeah. just it didn't it didn't stir my soul, you know, and. You know, when it comes to photography, you have to be passionate about it. You know, it has to be something that, you know, regardless of if you can make money off of it or not, you're going to do it forever type of feeling. Right. And right. that's the way I feel with storm photography, you know, regardless of if I make money, I'm here for it. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, and I would be, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what, because I know there's a kind of a, there's a community around it. There's, you know, different people are connected. Um, and I think we, I was listening in on one of the Twitter spaces with, that was about storm chasing Mm -hmm. and probably a couple months ago. And I, I find it fascinating, um, that there are people that are, that are involved that are storm chasers that are not photographers. Yeah. That, that they're just out there doing, (laughs) and I kind of go, well, what would you do? I I think photographers are kind of like somebody I got a camera in my hand years ago and now I can't I'm broken I can't I can't not have to take pictures of stuff but I'm curious are there a lot of people that you do you run with anybody who is not a photographer the storm chaser uh so I do have a lot of friends within the community who are uh their primary thing isn't photography um they like to do live stream feeds uh mainly on twitch um a lot of a lot of photographers are not photographers. Storm chasers are also videographers, and that's their primary source of income. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, videoing you know tornadoes or damaging hail, damaging winds, destroying property, and you know being able to sell that footage to a CNN or uh, ABC, CBS, etc. Right. Uh, so photography and storm in the storm community is. It's picked up steam, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was nowhere near as uh, in demand as it's been now within uh, the Twitter space and Instagram and things of that nature. It was much more of a, you know, videographer, photojournalist, uh, documenting the storms that way type of manner. Um, so the the storm chasing community, how did you, you know, you, you go from... You got, you got to tag along on a couple trips. Um, and you mentioned the one down to the panhandle, um, from Wichita to the, to the Texas panhandle that did that just turn into more trips? Is that, are those people, um, a community that you kind of just 
embedded with um, going forward? Did you meet new people? How did you how did you find yourself in the middle of the community? Oh man, that's a loaded question. You might have to sit back. <laughs> it's gonna be a little talk that's here. Why I asked. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and say part of the reason I ask is because I find when you guys talk about it, like I said, I've been in your in some of the Twitter spaces talking about it. It fascinates me the the community because there are communities around different aspects of photography, but storm chasing, I've got the sense that it's just not about, you can't just show up with a camera. You have to become, no. you have to start to be good. You have to figure out weather. You have to figure out travel. You have to figure out, I mean, there's so many things. Yes. I, I really want to hear about the the vehicle conundrum. Like <laughs> how do you do, do with that? But tell me about the community. Cause I'm, I'm really curious about that. So for me, it's a little different because a lot of people who got into storm photography, um, you know, obviously, you know, they followed Reed Timmer. They saw Twister and that automatically piqued their interest. Or they saw these storm documentaries where you get people who are uh, what we call zero metering tornadoes, you know, AKA getting very close to a tornado. Um, mm-hmm. For me, growing up in the South, I never saw those things. I was actually afraid of storms. Like right. if I heard light or not lightning, if I heard thunder, I was getting inside. Um, Right. That type of deal. So uh, I never got into the weather community when I first started because I didn't know there was one on Twitter per se. Right. Um, there there are a few storm photographers on Instagram, but you know, we're pretty sporadic compared to the weather community that is on Twitter and that is out there. So I really didn't know anybody per se. Um, I got lucky when uh, my friend Ann... Uh, mentioned that her boyfriend, Chris Jackson, I got to shout him out because he was the one who kind of took me under his wing and started teaching me. He was the one who took me out on that chase. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of started teaching me, you know, giving me, giving me some basic tips and uh, really drilling into my head that safety was a priority. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's back in South Carolina. So whenever I would go out to chase, I would have him like on speed dial. And okay. he would know my position and things of that nature. So I was able to practice, but still have a professional with me in that moment, teaching right. me, which is uh, pretty unique. Um, I always tell, there's a lot of landscape photographers who always ask me about storm photography and always tell them to always go out with somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, yeah. And it's kind of funny because I didn't you know, necessarily go out with someone but I did have them right there by me, telling me what's going right. on and teaching me things. Um, so as far as the community aspect, I uh, I kind of started posting some of my work on Twitter and I eventually uh, met a storm chaser named Matt Holloman, who, uh, you know, we just kind of traded, you know, traded a little bit of conversation, light conversation, nothing crazy. Um, right. And one day there was a chase in Nebraska and him and a friend, David Baxter, uh, I actually saw them on my uh, GPS because we all have GPS and spotter beacons so we can see okay. where people are. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to be close to you guys. So let's, uh, let's meet up. And, um, lo and behold, you know, just reaching out like that gave me a lifelong friend because me and Matt are storm chase partners. Um, he's a nurse as well. And, okay. uh, we just, after that meeting, we just slowly became best friends and, now, when I'm out chasing during the summertime, I crash on his couch. Uh, you know, we're always grilling and cooking out. And, um, 
you know, same thing with David Baxter, you know, he lives in Colorado, but I'll pop over to Denver all the time and stay at his house. And, you know, it's just been, it's fun because the chase community is so friendly that, you know, it's not just about chasing, you know, I'll right. go over there and crash in the winter time. You know, I'm going to be in Denver next month. I'll see him and my friend, Jen. Uh, and obviously there's no storms to chase, you know, it's February. There's not going to be anything to chase over there, but we'll still have a good time. Um, different so I kinds kinda, of storms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different kinds of storms, Fuh storms probably. Cause you know, I love a good bowl of, fuh. uh, so yeah, as far as the storm community, it's, uh, it's been interesting. I've just from that friendship with Matt and David, I've, uh, slowly expanded my friendships within the community outside of the weather Twitter space that I know, um, which has been really, really great. Um, you know, just getting to meet people like Matt Phelps, uh, obviously, you know, bumping into Reed Timmer a time or two has been, you know, phenomenal, but you know, many other people, Rob Hoff, uh, let's see, uh, Aaron Rigsby, who, uh, he documented the wildfire that went through, uh, close to the Aurora community last month. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Yeah. Just, it's been fun meeting various people and being friends with them outside of the, uh, chase chase atmosphere, I guess you could say. Right. You got to do something else for the other half of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Primarily work and, you know, again, eat bowls of pho and, uh, <laughs> and then do now for anybody who's you. now I, I live in Portland, so we know what pho is here, but do you mind, uh, telling other people who maybe aren't familiar with it? Yeah. So it's a, uh, Vietnamese soup, I guess you could say that's, uh, filled with various things. Uh, you can get brisket, uh, Vietnamese ham, which is bologna in the United States. Uh, <laughs> I like mine with pork meatballs and uh, tripe and beef tendon. Um, okay. It's yummy and I love it. I'm always cool. on the look, look out for a Vietnamese spot. For anybody who doesn't know, I think maybe the closest thing to kind of relate it to would be like really good ramen. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's similar in terms of, you know, Pretty similar. it's not it's not like the freeze dried uh, <laughs> noodles that you drop in and you put a little flavor packet in. It's a whole different thing. Oh, yeah. It's uh. It's a very uh, home homely meal, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. very fulfilling, and yeah, people know me for my storm photography and what place am I eating? But usually, <laughs> I like it. I like it. How easy is it to find that out in the Midwest? You know, believe it or not, it's uh, it's been pretty easy. If you can find a decent sized city, there's usually a Vietnamese place, and uh, I have a favorite place in Lincoln. I have a favorite place in Des Moines, Iowa. I have a favorite place in uh green bay wisconsin of all places you know people okay. would never think that there's a great uh, place in green bay and i'm like the greatest i've ever ate is in a little asian supermarket in green bay wisconsin okay <laughs> okay know? i can believe that yeah <laughs> i think a lot of times the most authentic the, the stuff that's best it comes from those hole in the wall places oh yeah and this is like definitely hole in the wall you would have never known that they had some of the best pho, but oh my god do you, ever, do you ever spend any time? Do you ever spend any time in New Orleans? No, I've never been actually. You never been? So I went down for, and I've only been there once. I went, I don't know, about two years ago. My wife had a a conference she had to go to, and she she's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go. I'm, I need to go to New Orleans." And I said, "I want to go." Like, <laughs> I'm. She was in a conference all day long, and I was walking around, basically just finding food mm -hmm. and taking pictures, and got some of the best street photography of my life there. Um, but, but I found 
the place that has the best po' boy sandwich I've ever experienced really? anywhere. And it literally is in this little tiny, it's almost like a, like a corner convenience store, like a kind of like a bodega sort of, mm-hmm. you know, sort of just corner store, corner convenience store. And then there's a deli counter at the back and there's a, just a guy at the back and he's just busting out sandwich after sandwich. And, um, it was insane. And if anybody's ever, ever there, you guys got to hit me up and I'll tell you where it is. <laughs> I'm gonna it's actually called, um, it. it's called Ver- Verdi Mart. Like, like Verdi as in like, kind of like green, like V E R T I Verdi Mart is what it's called. So if you go to New Orleans, look it up. That's the place to go. I'll, uh, I'll have to add that to my food list that I have on my phone right now. Yeah. And also one more, if you go to, if you go there, don't go to, when you go to get beignets, don't go to Cafe du Monde. It's to, it's a tourist trap. Go find this other place called Cafe Beignet. Really? Yeah, way better. Valuable tips from the man himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to, and I asked, I asked locals, I said, where do I go? I want vignettes. And they're like, no, don't go to that place. They're, they'll give you your drink in a paper cup and they'll wrap your beignet and napkins. This other place, it's a place to go. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, well, that's, that's, uh, I love, I love hearing the, the, that you're chasing the good food while you're on the road too. Oh yeah. Most definitely. When we, uh, eat nothing but gas station food all the time. It's always nice to find little hole in the walls and yeah, you know, try out new places. <laughs> exactly. So you, so when we, when we met, here's, I have one anecdotal story that I, I kind of have to tell. Okay. Uh, so when we were together, I was, this is, I always feel a little weird about it. Cause I was one of the co-leaders of the workshop. One of the, we had two instructors, mm-hmm. myself and another guy named Joseph. Joseph is no longer a photographer. Um, Really? He went, yeah, he went off to pursue a music career and, um, and raise his son. He just, he kind of got overwhelmed and said, Hey, I think I'm going to step back. So just kind of, I had no clue. Yeah. He just kind of stepped back. Um, our other, um, our other friend, Justin lamb, who was also on that trip is a very good friend of mine. We talk all the time, like, like every day or two. And he has kept in touch with, uh, with Joseph. And so he just said, yeah, he's kind of, he just stepped back. He's like, you know, yeah, I, talked to, uh, I talked to Justin, oh God, probably like a month or two ago, I think it wasn't yeah. too long ago, but you know, we kind of touched base and, you know, just saw how each other were, but uh, it's a, uh, again, it's funny how everybody's kind of kept in touch with each other, you know, yeah. over the years. And um, it's been great, you know, <laughs> really great. Yeah. Especially being able to talk with uh, you and Joe Perry now a ton. Um, yeah. You know, being also just, together. just a heads up, Joe said to tell you, he says, I said, I asked people on Twitter if they have any questions for you and, and Wolf just said, Hey man, tell him I love him. <laughs> you gotta love Joe, right? <laughs> you gotta love him, man. He, his energy and just his being in his presence just automatically uplifts your spirits. You know, yeah. I, I strive as a human to, to be like Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go see him. He doesn't live that. I mean, he lives in Seattle, so it's not that far away. So yeah. I told him next I time to make I'm over there, I'm, uh, I'm going to pop in and, you know. You let us know when you're out here. I'll make a trip up there, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. we got Or, you, or come down here and he can come visit. Oh, yeah. Either or. Either or. Yeah. Well, um, so it's, it's interesting. I think I remember on that trip, there was a good, like, I don't know, like a day and a half where you and myself, I was driving. And I had you and Giancarlo um, in the car with me. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I just remember like, it was just, it was epic. And I think we had Sarah with us too, Sarah Williams. Yeah. And so it was just like the most amazing thing to hear your stories and then to hear Giancarlo's and Giancarlo is a restaurateur from, um, the Bay area mm-hmm. has like a super, super high end Italian restaurant. Yes, he does. And, and a whole family that's involved. And it was great hearing all his stories from, you know, this whole life of being, of, of having a restaurant business and then hearing all of your stories from being the traveling med professional. Um, and then Sarah uh, worked at, was a, did like hiking and climbing guiding for REI. Mm-hmm. And just have all of you guys on the car <laughs> and just all these stories swirling around. It was fantastic. Yeah, it really was. I uh, mm-hmm. I kept up with Giancarlo for a good bit. And uh, when I went out to San Francisco, I uh, decided to go eat at his place. And um, he was like, you have a suit with you? And I'm like, no, I, I had no idea that it was, you know, this high end. Yeah. Um, I knew it was up there, but I didn't know it was, you know, kind of a black tie, you know, no pants, right. that type of deal thing. So, uh, yeah, he let me slide by with, uh, with a dress shirt and a blazer. Yeah. And it's funny because I walk in and, you know, people who eat there, they eat there pretty regularly and they're just looking right. like, okay, who is this, this guy, guy being able to slide <laughs> by with just these pants and a shirt and a blazer on and, you know, then John Carlo coming out and uh, serving us. Uh, it was pretty yeah. funny just seeing everybody's reactions. Like, who is that guy? Kind of felt like a yeah. celebrity at the moment. Yeah. Well, and for anybody, I, I will obviously put a picture up with the show art with the when the podcast goes out. But um, in fact, I'm probably going to use my my portrait of you from from that trip. Oh, you should when we post it. Do but it. Um, Justin's uh, Twitter handle um, is the dread dread. Uh, I'm stumbling here. Dreadlock Traveler. Yes. With an abbreviated and Traveler. Abbreviated for Twitter because Twitter sucks. Yes, and they won't let you have decent handles. But the Dreadlock, the Dreadlock Traveler and on Instagram and Dreadlock TVLR on Twitter. And it's because he has some epic, epic hair. Oh, yes. So you can imagine Justin <laughs> sliding by at the classy italian restaurant that requires a suit yeah. <laughs> rolling in and having the owner come out and serve him it's pretty cool and i completely forgot about the dreadlocks <laughs> <Just> <laughs> but i'm sure that factored into it as well yeah yeah well um the other thing that was kind of I, I remember at one point you had switched cars like you you rode home with somebody else and all of a sudden we're cruising along and then somebody goes hey what's with this lens back here and you had left i don't even know what focal length that was but you had some just giant telephoto lens that oh, you'd yeah. been, it was my nikon been carrying- <laughs> uh 200 is or yeah i think it was a 200 500 if i'm not mistaken yeah and you got in a different car to ride home from the waterfall i think yeah. and like somebody was like um what is this and they went to sit down and there was like this big lens you'd left your lens in the car oops that's <laughs> okay i think it's it suits you well because your your job um as a med professional, but then also as a, as a storm chaser, you got more important things to concern you with than the gear. That's true. That's very, very true. I actually got rid of that lens. Not, not yeah. long after that trip, I got tired of lugging it around and wasn't doing wildlife anymore. So sent it on its way. Now, do you still have, if, if somebody was to um, go do some searching, do you still have some of that work on your, on your Instagram feed? Yeah. I, uh, I know a lot of people, you know, curate their Instagrams, pretty tightly and you know they'll eventually get rid of some of their older work that they're uh, you know maybe necessarily not proud of um i chose to leave everything up because 
I want to look back 10 years from now and kind of see where I've started from. And mm-hmm. man, the improvements from when I first picked up a camera to now has just been, it, it's, it's a great feeling being able to look back and, you know, be like, wow, you know, you shot that and you were proud, dude. <laughs> and now looking at what I'm sh- shooting and capable of doing and just, you know, looking in all of, you know, what, I, how I've been able to grow as a person and a photographer. Yeah. Well, for, for what it's worth, I know you mentioned that the other stuff didn't really speak to you, but I have always felt like that is that other part of what you've done. Your landscape work is also really solid. Oh, it's, thanks. um, I think it, ha- I think it has, and I think I've even mentioned this. So if somebody were digging through your comments on your old Instagram post, they'd probably see me say this, that I love the landscape stuff and I can see the same artistic vibe as what, as I see in your storm photos. Yeah. Thanks. I, uh, yeah. I really strive to uh, try not to be technically perfect in my work. If that makes sense. And I know that's kind of a contradiction to what most people try to do with their photography, but I, uh, I really try to evoke emotion within my work mm-hmm. and really, yeah. really try to force that into the viewer's perspective. Because when you look at photography, you know, photography is art. You know, I know that there are people who do not think that, but when you're taking a photograph and you're able to, you know, evoke an emotion within the viewer, you know, that's art within itself. You know, it doesn't right. matter the medium. Um, it's being able to connect with that person, you know, on a, on a mental and emotional level. And there's a, there's a beauty in that. There's, a, there's an art within the art of being mm. able to make somebody feel something. It's one thing for people to look at a photo and say, uh, man, that's, that looks amazing. And it's another thing for somebody to say, man, this makes me feel something or, you know, I can relate with this because I feel this way and this portrait portrays that That, there's a beauty in that. No, I love that. I love that. Well, and for what it's worth, I already said for what it's worth, but for what it's worth, my gut is that your, as much as storm chasing has become your thing, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm predicting it'll come full circle. And I think you'll probably, you'll probably end up coming back to some of the other stuff because I think that this is going to make you a better version of the other photographer too. Uh, you know, I haven't thought about it, but um, street photography has been something that's piqued my curiosity. Um, I know that it takes a, a good while to kind of develop the eye for that, but I could see myself potentially getting into that eventually. Um mm. But again, right now, my my focus is just, you know, full, full circle storms, you know, like it's all yeah. I can think about. It's uh, being in the wintertime right now in Minnesota, it's hard because unless we get a northern light show, I'm I'm not going out to shoot any winter weather. Um, Speaking of know. which, <laughs> you kind of nailed that this winter. Yeah, that was a oh man, that was an epic display of northern lights and talking to some of the uh, locals who chase in minnesota um a lot of people said that was top two top three events in their lifetime yeah. and some of these when did that happen was that um uh, was that november december uh, it was i think it was uh the first week of november if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah well i remember everybody was going nuts out here and we we got completely skunked i had a a, a good buddy that was here and that reached out and goes hey um he knew that i had a spot um kind of a kind of a secret spot up near Mount hood Uh-oh. where I, where I had shot the, uh, the comet a couple of years ago, oh, back really? in 2020. 
and I, and he knew that it was so anytime that they you start we start getting high kp index numbers or 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 strong uh solar flare activity the whole entire landscape photography in portland goes nuts and everybody goes up to port up to mount hood and there's one spot um from if you're shooting across what's Trillium Lake, it's a really, really well-known mountain uh, lake near Mount Hood, and it faces directly north across the lake. And so I've shot it there before and gotten some, you know, kind of decent, you know, a little bit of purple, a little bit of green in the sky, but everybody goes there. And, and the last time I went there was 2017 and it was, um, there were like 120 photographers lined up along the beach of this lake. Oh my God. I, don't, I wouldn't know so what it, to do. <laughs> oh yeah. So you can imagine it's even more crazy now. And I, I actually met a few people up there that I've stayed friends with, which was cool. Um, which is amazing because it was totally dark. I don't know how any of us, we were all like shining our phones on our faces. So you recognize faces and know who each other were, but it was crazy. And so it's gotten worse since then, but I have this weird little spot that I found on Google earth um, when I knew the comet was coming and I knew everybody else was going to go to Trillium. So I thought, well, I better go find something different that has a good view of where I can line up the tr- comet over the mountain. And so Keith, my my friend, buddy Keith reached out and said, Hey, we want to go and we want to shoot the Northern lights. Do you mind telling us where that spot is? <laughs> and so I told him where it was. It's kind of a pain in the ass to get there. He met up a, a buddy and they drove all the way up there and just totally got skunked. Like nothing oh, happened. And really? that was two nights before you, that was two nights before you shot it. Oh, okay. So you, uh, you guys chased the, uh, the big event that everybody got excited for. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The yep. thing with that was, that was a, uh, the potential of that hitting earth was, uh, it was kind of a glancing blow thing. Yeah. Which, uh, when you have, it never that, hit here in Oregon. Yeah. It never, it, it missed earth. Um, and then the event that was, uh, a couple of nights later, um, I had been watching it the day before and, uh, by no means am I an Aurora expert. Um, I'm not that, but I, I know enough to get myself in trouble. And uh, I was kind of watching some of the uh, data and reading up on some things. And I knew that we had you know, a couple of CMEs and a flare coming. But uh, nobody knew at that time that there were two flares that went off uh, pretty close to each other. But right. one of the flares actually cannibalized the other and sped up oh, okay. the other one. So we had our first... Uh, CME impact and that hit during the afternoon and then that night when we actually got that crazy epic show was when those two flares actually their molecules started to interact with earth and yeah um it's funny i uh i met up with a storm chasing buddy from grand grand falls uh or what's the name of that place uh north of fargo okay yeah I can't remember where it, but I don't know. I don't is. know that area. So <laughs> the Grand Forks or Grand Falls, whatever. Um, Probably Grand Grand Forks seems like that's Montana. Maybe I don't. I yeah. Don't know. Um. Anyways, I met up with him and we drove up towards the uh, Canadian border, and he had literally asked me like an hour or two before the big show happened, which we had Northern Lights. They were decent, but they weren't you know anything spectacular. And he mm-hmm. had asked me. He was like, "Have you ever seen the Northern Lights? You know, flicker?" And I was like. Yeah, I have, but it's normally when you see them flicker, it's a very quick flicker and you don't really see it. You just kind of, it almost feels like something's in your eye and you're wondering like, you know, did I see something just now? And then we had this just crazy show where I literally filmed the lights flickering on my phone, which is insane to be able to capture the lights flickering 
overhead on your phone is not heard of. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. You know, so. Well, you're a couple hours ahead of us. So I was watching your stream and we were looking outside and it was raining and overcast here. Oh God. Yeah. That so was... that, that same night we, we all knew it was happening. We knew it was going to happen. I've got a bunch of buddies that are just nutso Aurora chasers that are, that are constantly their Twitter and their Instagram and, and Facebook feeds are all about here's the KP index and here's the CME <laughs> and here's all this. And, and everybody just gets pissed because we so often get clouded out when it, when it happens. So <clears throat> that's what we were doing. We were watching people like you <laughs> going like, Oh no, it's, it's yeah. all cloudy here. I, uh, I almost didn't go out. I was in Lincoln, oh, Nebraska man. that morning. Um, and the Canadian border is probably 10 hours away. And, uh, yeah. I was just kind of sitting there looking at it. And, um, I saw the, uh, you know, uh, are the NOAA kind of uh, upgrading their their thinking? And I was like, yeah. should I go out? Should I not? This might be a little too late. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go and do it anyways because what's stopping me, you know? Right. And then I saw things as they progressed in the afternoon. I was like, oh, this might be good. And sure enough, it was one of those, you know, once in a decade type of situations. So exactly, very blessed to have witnessed that. No, that's totally cool. I, I was a little bit jealous, but also really happy for you. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Uh, like I said, it was just amazing. I don't yeah. even have the words to uh, to acknowledge how epic that was. Nice. Well, I had a couple. Um, I, I will, I'll tell you that I mentioned Wolf said to tell you he loves you. I already told you that. Uh, John Wingfield also said, can you ask him how he developed such amazing vibes and if he has any tips for how I too can establish those good vibes for myself? Oh man. I would, uh, <laughs> I would say it's dreads, man. The dreads 100% <laughs> create the vibe. I don't even have to say anything. You know, I could just walk in and everybody knows like, Hey, you know, that's a chill guy, you know, <laughs> like dreadlocks just automatically make everybody assume that you're pretty chill, obviously. Right. So, right. Yeah. It's the dreads. Road that works for me. Uh, I will. We'll make sure we tell him he has to listen to the episode to find out. But oh yeah, there's the secret. So what do you? Um, where do you see? Where do you see things going? What are your? What are your goals? What are you hoping to? What are you hoping to do? In the, uh, you know, in the near future with your photography and your storm chasing. Well, uh, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, the first thing that I wanted to do was. Uh, Last year, I had the pleasure of working with a tour company, and um, I kind of discovered that I really loved being able to help others see these storms um, and just witnessing them find that passion for storm photography the way that I found it. So this year, I partnered up with two separate tour companies. I'm helping lead uh, workshops with both of those tour companies in June. Um, oh, nice. I'm also going to be doing a uh, film documentary with Brittany Pierre. Um, we're going to go out chasing for probably a week to 10 days and, uh, in May and kind of, uh, see what happens from there. Oh, that's um, great. Me and my, my buddy, Matt, we're going to chase our two weeks. Uh, we normally do like a chasecation. Um, he's a hospice nurse and, uh, he's not able to get a ton of time off, but if we have a local chase or, you know, anything of that nature, we can chase. We're always together if possible. Right. Um, and then outside of that, uh, I have a, I have some things going on in the NFT scene. I want to, want to kind of grow my NFT collection, Supercellular, which is a, it's kind of an annual project. I want to curate 
the supercells that I capture each season mm-hmm. and, you know, just drop them into my collection and slowly grow that collection and, you know, just kind of have a curated portfolio of these, you know, epic storms. Um, and right. it's been great this year, uh, just seeing people being able to invest in me and then uh, also them being able to, you know, eventually sell my work and make a profit off of it, which is right. totally fine with me. Um, now, now you also have a, um, kind of a dividend. Is that how you're doing? Is that what you would call it? Yeah. Yeah. So my, uh, the first 12, um, the first 12 pieces that I dropped, uh, features a dividend, dividend. So 5% of every sell that I make in the future with my storm photography in the NFT space that's split up amongst those 12 collectors. Um, this, uh, past December, well, January 1st, which was the first dividend drop of it. Um, everybody in the collection chose to donate to team Rubicon to help those who were affected with the tornado outbreaks that happened in Tennessee or Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Arkansas, um, and Missouri. So that was pretty great of them instead of uh, taking the, uh, the money they were able to you know, come together and choose to help others who were in desperate need of it because towns got wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting to be able to, it's, it's interesting to be able to say like communities actually forming around what you're doing. And that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I found it great that, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I'm, I'm not much of a speaker, you know, it's very rare for me to, to get out and speak, you know, whether or not it's on Twitter spaces or on a podcast like I am with you now. Um, you know, I'm mainly a, you know, in the backgrounds, you know, just talking with people and, you know, creating friends that way. And to to see people, you know, not only enjoy my work, but also kind of find a passion for storm photography, you know, kind of see the passion that's that's been that's been lifted in myself. And you mm-hmm. know, see that within my work and be willing to invest in it and um, help others in the process as well. It's been, it's been great. You know, you forgot about live vicariously through you. Uh, probably a little bit of that too. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of me. I, I love what you're doing. I'm like, that's really cool. I'm glad he's taking pictures of that. Maybe down the road at some point I'll get a chance to, but I, in the meantime, it's really cool to, to watch you doing it. Oh, you should, man. I think you would, uh, you would enjoy it. Oh, I'm, it's, I'm sure I'd have a good time. Yeah. Oh, it's an adrenaline rush. We have a lot of downtime, but man, when you get in front of one of these storms, it's like I said, it never gets old. It's always yeah. unique, different, and it just, it just stirs the soul, man. No, like, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, um, a couple, a couple things. First of all, I'd love to know if there's anybody else that you think that I should have a conversation with, um, other photographers and, and it's, this podcast is pretty broad. So I've, I've talked to everybody from portrait to commercial to wedding to, um, storm chasers and, and landscape and everything in between. Who do you, who would you like to hear from or who could you introduce me to that you think might be a good fit? I think a really good fit for you would be Brittany Pierre. Um, okay. And, and that's a uh, redacted pride on Twitter, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, seeing her, a lot of people don't know, but I'm half black, half white. Um, right. And I grew up in the South. And um, even though I'm of a lighter tone than, you know, most of my brothers and sisters, it's, you know, I've had, I've had some racial things happen to me. Um, you know, I've been called certain names and, right. you know, I've been threatened, you know, with my life 
Um, and those things, you know, it's, it's interesting seeing where we've come from as a country to where we are now. Right. Um, but we still have a ton of work to go as far as being a country that's truly united and seeing Brittany be out there and, you know, speaking her opinion, whether or not people like it or not, and just bringing, bringing to the forefront that, Hey, you know, there are racial injustices that still happen. There still is systemic, you know, inequalities throughout America. Um, you know, it's a tough topic to talk about at times, but it's one that, that we really need to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, just as a country and a whole, it's it's been hard seeing some of the things that's happened over the past four years. And it kind of feels like we've taken a step back, you know, in a sense sometimes. But right. I do believe that we that eventually things will work out. I think that people like Brittany, um, they're going they're going to be the ones who help that change happen um, slowly but surely. Well, I think art has that. um Art can push through. It can push through in ways that we can't communicate sometimes with words. Yeah, yeah. And I would. I don't know her story, so I would be very interested. Well, in maybe it. that's that's a good reason why I should talk to her. Yeah, it's. I've been following her. We've we've had um, some not DMs, but we've we've replied back and forth on Twitter a little bit. Um, but certainly, what she's doing is compelling. So it is. It really is, and she has great work. You know. Yeah. Like, on top of that, you know, she's a photographer who's awesome as well, and has done fantastic in the scene within the past year here yeah anybody else uh let's see let's see and i know you're talking to her already so i'm going to ask you to well i'll <laughs> we'll have to have you inter- introduce me and go hey i did this now you need to do it alex kwan is another guy he's a guy who, okay uh, you know i've watched him hustle on instagram before any of this right NFT yeah, he's been around for a long exploded. time yeah and his work ethic man is just it's just 100, man. Like he is always he has an interesting backstory. I would love to dig in on that a yes, little bit more. Yes, definitely reach out to him. Um, you know, is his background, am I, am I remembering correctly? Is he, was he in the financial market? Yep. Like, yes, he yeah, was yeah. in the financial. He, he was in the investment and, world. Yep. And uh, he yeah. got out of that and pursued photography. And he's just been, you know, not only a role model for me, but an epic, epic support. And I, I wouldn't cool. be in the NFT space if it wasn't for him. I would have gave up. Okay. But he yeah. he helped push me along. And yeah, we barely even talked about that on here, and that's kind of a little bit on purpose. And it's because I, the art is for me like NFTs is a way to sell. We sell our art, but there's also a community around it. But I am so much more interested in the art part of it. So yeah. that's the only reason we didn't we didn't dig in a little deeper. Yeah, I'm totally fine um, with not talking about it. It's just you know, it's one of the very small things that I'm involved in, and uh, I'm looking forward to growing all aspects of my life, uh, you know, whether yeah. I'm on the NFT scene, it's uh, tour workshops, um, you know, and just being able to chase year in, year out. Are, are there, is there room in your tour workshops that are coming up? Uh, yes, there are. Um, okay. Actually, I think one may be sold out now, um, okay. but I do know that there is availability in the other workshop. And then I also do send me a workshop. Send me a link and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. Can definitely and do that. and, um, and we'll, we'll see if we can get, we'll see if we can get that spot filled. Oh yeah. That'd be great. I'm sure that tour company would love that too. <laughs> yeah. What's um, okay. So this has been amazing. I would love to make sure people know where they can find your work and get in touch with you if they have more questions or they just want to support you and, and see what you're up to. Yeah, sure. So uh, my Twitter handle is dreadlock traveler. 
And that would be TVLR, not the actual whole word traveler, because again, Twitter sucks and uh, (laughs) not letting us use the names that we want. Uh, Instagram would be the dreadlock traveler, all typed out. Um, I also have a Facebook page, which is also the dreadlock traveler, but I don't use it too much. Um, I mainly stick to Instagram and uh, Twitter. So if you, if anybody wants to DM me, you know, talk about storms or anything of that nature i'm more than happy to uh to talk to people awesome well cool well justin this has been super fun um thank you for taking the time to make uh to make this happen uh it was definitely worth the wait oh yeah i appreciate you uh being willing to you know, accommodate my schedule i know we had a couple of hiccups uh trying to get things scheduled but yeah, it's, it's been a great that. time you know just catching up on life in general and uh, things of that nature yeah it's definitely definitely worth the wait yeah well cool man thanks thank you so much for spending this time with us if you like what you heard please subscribe share it with your friends and leave a review on apple podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice also i'm always looking for interesting people to interview so if you know someone i should talk to please get in touch you can email me at gotakepictures.com or send a message on twitter at gotakepics or on instagram or facebook with the handle gotakepictures New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures.